0: And today we're going to look at lockdown lessons from the Bible. You think like, oh, is our situation unique, this lockdown thing, what is it like? Um, maybe for you it's like, oh, I know what, what lockdown is like. Uh, I, I know when I was younger, when I went to school sometimes that felt like lockdown. It's like, oh, it's like a prison, this place. I wish I could just get out of here. Um, and eventually after 12 years, I got out of it, uh, which was wonderful. Um, although I, I enjoyed school sometimes. Um, maybe this is not your first experience of lockdown. Uh, can anybody think of someone in the Bible that was in lockdown? Uh, that was caught up in some kind of situation or maybe even in prison where they were uh, so Bronwyn says, Paul in prison. Yes, Paul was in prison. Little says, Joseph, mm-hmm. he was in prison. Yeah, Noah. Uh, n- Noah on the boat. Yes, <laughs> Noah on the ark. Um, so please, uh, please try and type in the chat box rather than speak because everybody speaks at the same time. It gets uh, it gets very noisy. Um, so we've got Joseph, we've got uh, Noah uh, and Oa. Uh, without the end typos. Um, yeah, so we've actually have a lot of examples in the Bible of people that were caught up in a kind of a lockdown situation. We're going to start off with someone that was in a seven-year lockdown. And, oh, Jonah as well. Jonah and the fish. I haven't thought about that one. That's a good one. Um, and then Jesus on the night he was betrayed, says Penny. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to, to Jesus, to talk about Jesus and his lockdown in, uh, when we take the communion. Uh, Rahab was in lockdown in the old city. And uh, that, that's very... So old cities are going into lockdown now. And Rahab was in the city of Jericho. And the whole city was kind of in lockdown as the Israelites marched around it uh, every day. I can imagine how the other how people in the, in that city must have felt being in, in, in lockdown like that, not being able to, to leave the city uh, at all. Some situations are not so obvious as a, as a lockdown, and the first one we're going to look at today is the story of Jacob, and we're going to pick it up in Genesis 29, starting in verse 18. So what happened is Jacob traveled to another country, to another land, to, uh, and there uh, met a family member, Laban, and he met Rachel, and he fell in love with Rachel. And in Genesis 29, verse 18, we read, it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said to, uh, to Rachel's uh, father, Laban, he said, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give it to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Now, important to know here is that Jacob didn't immediately get Rachel and marry her and then had to work seven years. He had to work seven years first. And then, after the seven years, he got to marry Rachel. So, in verse 20, it says, uh, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Jacob was in a kind of a lockdown situation here. He couldn't go because if he left, he wouldn't get Rachel. Even if he worked for six years and nine months or six years and 11 months and 28 days, or maybe it was not February that he finished, maybe he worked for six years and 11 months and 27 days and before the last day of February he left, he would not get Rachel. He was in a lockdown, he couldn't go anywhere. But it says they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love. For her, what was mo- Rachel? What was uh, uh, Jacobs' motivation for persevering through these seven years? And uh, you can type some answers in the chat box uh, there if you want to. Um, you know, seven years can—it's—it's it's a long time. It can seem like a long time, even in our situation. Uh, now we've got kind of—it's only been a week or two of uh, stay-at-home and stay-in-your-houses. And time can start to feel like it's running very slowly. It actually says here, to Jacob, they seemed like only a few days to him. And someone says here, uh, yeah, it is uh, his love for Rachel that motivated him. It is his love, his love that motivated him. And we can think, okay, but you know, we're not being locked down in the situation because of some love situation um and it's because we you know there's someone that we love so much that we're willing to stay in this lockdown lockdown situation i think what is what's important here that we can learn from jacob is that he looked to what was ahead he looked forward to what comes later rather than being focused on the on the challenges of his current situation and his current situation for those seven years they were not Wonderfully, his uncle was quite a, a tough businessman. He was a hard master. He had very high expectations of him. Jacob had to work very hard, um, and his uncle even cheated him out of some of his dues at the end of his uh, at the end of his time that he worked there. Um, it was not it e- wasn't easy, but he looked forward to what was coming later. What was going to when all this ends what was the outcome going to be and I think for us we can uh, we can ask ourselves what, what are we focusing on um, are we focusing on the, on the on the challenges and the difficulties of the situation or what is a motivating future that we can look forward to that we can think oh, I'm looking forward to so much to the day when and whatever it is that we're hoping to be. maybe you look forward to the day when you can uh, see your friends again and play and uh, maybe you just look forward to the day where I look forward to us being together physically at church again and just sharing some hugs um, and sharing some cakes and coffee after the service and not being worried about who do you touch and uh, oh stay you know keep your distance don't come so close to be fellow be able to fellowship more than less than two meters apart uh, maybe it is even a kind of love that can motivate us when we realize that we need people in our lives we need other people in our lives and even for me as an introvert i like being at home i like being on my own uh, even for me i look forward to that i look forward to seeing people and to be with people that i that i love and that i and that i care about so that is uh, jacob's lockdown situation even though he wasn't in prison and we are not in prison, but we are in a situation that we are very restricted in what we can and cannot do. A little bit later on in Genesis, um, we read about Jacob's son, uh, Joseph. And if we turn a bit later to Genesis 39, and we're going to read from verse 20. And as you know from the history of, uh, you may know from the history of Joseph, is. Joseph is first thrown into a cistern, into a pit, by his brothers. We don't know how long he stayed there. It was already kind of a little prison. But then they sold him as a slave to some Midianites, and and those Midianites took him to Egypt. And there they sold him to uh, to Potiphar, who was a, a senior in the household of the Pharaoh. And that's where we read the story about how Joseph, does so well in this household um, that he basically had free reign. He was he was master of the household, taking care of things in the household. And, and then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. And Joseph stands strong and he stands to his vice-principles and he runs away. And of course, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife screams and and calls her husband the calls people of the house and tells a lie that uh, takes us to this point in the story where we pick it up in Genesis 39, and we're going to read from verse 20. It says, Joseph's master, that's uh, Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph was here uh, in prison. It's not exactly sure how long. We know from later on when uh, he went to lay out Pharaoh's dream for him that he was in prison for at least two years. Uh, historians and, and theologians look at it and they say well, it could have been as much as 10 and even possibly up to 13 years. Looking at the age of Joseph, he arrived there when he was 17 as a young man Uh, In in Egypt and and it's possible that he was even in prison for a, a long period like 10 or 13 years But it was at least two years now What did Joseph do wrong to end up in prison? Did he deserve it? Did he make some mistake? Did he commit some kind of sin? John says nothing. Yeah, there's certainly nothing in the Bible that we can see here where uh, um, where Joseph uh, did, did anything wrong. In fact, he did the right thing in a very tempting situation. Now in verse 21, we see that it says, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor. Often when these types of situations, when we go through tough situations, when we go through difficulties, And even the time that we're going through now, and um, you may think like, oh, what did we do to deserve this? What did we do wrong? What did I do wrong? And where is God in all this? We see that even though Joseph was in prison, God cannot be held outside or inside by any walls, by any locked doors, by any prisons, by any lockdowns. God was with him, even there in prison. And and I find great comfort in that, knowing that even though I'm kind of locked in my own house, that that doesn't matter. God can be here with me, and he can be there with you in your house, where you may feel like you're locked in. And even more than that, that uh, God may allow us like Joseph, to go through times of suffering and times of hardship without thinking like, oh, meaning because we did something wrong. God may allow us to go through these times, but it doesn't mean that he has abandoned us just because we're going through a challenging time. And just like he was with Joseph, he showed him favor uh, and granted him favor and showed him kindness. God can do the same for us. God can still show us favor, can still grant us, show us kindness, and grant us favor in in our difficult situation. We later on read that, of course, uh, Joseph tells, explains the dreams to the baker and uh, and the cupbearer. One of them gets freed and goes. Uh, one of them, the the baker's head gets chopped off and the cupbearer goes back to to Pharaoh and forgets about him. And many years later, uh, the Pharaoh had a dream. And then this guy who was in prison with Joseph tells him, I know someone who can tell you about your dream. And Joseph goes to the Pharaoh and explains to him what his dream meant and explained about the seven years of famine and seven years of good that's going to come and what the plan should be to deal with that. And during this time of famine, Joseph's very own family come from Canaan to find food and to buy food in Egypt, and he sees his brothers, they don't recognize him, he sends them back again. Uh, You can go and read that story, it's a wonderful story. Eventually, he reveals himself to his brothers when they're all there together. And he gives them a meal and he reveals himself and he says, it is I, Joseph. And of course, they get scared and they get like, an, oh, now he's the prime minister of Pharaoh. He's got all the food. He's got all the power. He's got, uh, he's got soldiers protecting him and bodyguards. What is he going to do to us? Because we threw him in the pit and sold him as a slave. And in that passage in Genesis 45, where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, In verse 5, when Joseph speaks to them, we see something of the grace of God and the character of Joseph, but also in his perspective on how he viewed the challenging time that he went through. He looked back and must have thought that you guys threw me in a pit, you sold me as a slave, I ended up in prison for so many years. But yet, what does he tell his brothers in Genesis 45, verse 5? Joseph says to to them, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That was Joseph's perspective. He saw the bigger picture. He saw that even in challenging times, we may have to go through difficult times, Save lives. And what is the message that uh, we see and hear from the government every day uh, in the UK? It says, "Stay at home, save lives." And if we think, like, why do we have this lockdown? That's the message. It's to save lives. And we may think that these are extraordinary measures to shut a whole nation in their homes to the incredible impact it has on the economy. People are losing jobs, they're losing their incomes, they, they're losing their livelihoods. Uh, the, the economy, it is almost like a wartime economy, like like the the Great Depression that we only read about and um, very few, if any of us have, have been through in the 1930s, where people are losing their jobs and, and thinking, oh, well, when will I be able to even Find a job anymore because the work I do, uh, you know, maybe you work in a restaurant or you work in a service industry, you know, or in a hotel, where it's all been shut down. It's like, well, I can't even look for a job because there are no jobs in this industry. The old industry has been shut down. Um, I got notice on my contract this week, and uh, they told me I, I've got uh, two weeks left. Sixteen is my last day. Uh, I'm hopeful because I'm in an industry where remote working is very common. I've been working from home for three weeks now, working remote and and being very productive. But it's it's challenging times. Extraordinary measures. Yet, like with Joseph, Joseph looked at that and he said, "God allows this, and it was necessary to save lives." I think it's worth for. Uh, any one of us to also think about what are we willing to do to save lives There's of course the physically saving lives and I think when all this is over and we add up the number of of people who died from COVID-19 it may be tens of thousands it may be hundreds of thousands but there are other still other bigger killers in this world uh in africa there's there's malaria there's tuberculosis and these kinds of things are under the radar because it's not a a pandemic all over the world doesn't affect every possible person in this life and then all this is over and, and and life will just go back to normal where there are actually still thousands and thousands of people dying I want us to all think about that when when this is over, that we won't forget the extraordinary measures that uh, we were willing to go through to save lives. And to consider what other extraordinary measures we can take to make a difference to save other people's lives. Whether it's getting involved as a volunteer, whether it's donating, um, in whatever way. Maybe it is just even saving our own lives by stopping unhealthy habits that uh, that kill thousands of people every year drinking too much smoking uh, the things that that uh, that are well known to kill people uh, even even just unhealthy eating and obesity it's a it's a disease that's probably i think one of the biggest killers in this world and that can be stopped but It carries on because people are not willing to take extraordinary measures that's physically but even spiritually what extraordinary measures are we willing to take to save lives Uh, even spiritually it takes a commitment to help people to be spiritually saved and when this is over let's think about that what spiritual extraordinary measures we can take and now especially for um, for Elsie's cat we're going to look at another lockdown situation and that is Daniel if you want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 6 the story of Daniel is of course that uh, Daniel was in exile and in Babylon and there was a new king and the king considered himself God and said everybody was prayed to him and then Daniel of course, said, I'm sorry, but that's not that's where I draw the line. I have only one God. And I, I, I will I cannot pray to the king. I can only pray to the true one true God. And of course Daniel was a very prominent, he was like a he was a minister of one of the three provinces or twelve provinces in, in Babylon. And the other satraps or heads of provinces didn't like him. They ganged up against him, conspired against him, betrayed him to the king, and the king of the Persians had to to respond to the law that he himself made. In Daniel 6, verse uh, 16, we read about Daniel. And he says um, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and him into the lion's den the king said to daniel may your god whom you serve continually rescue you of course the king had a very good relationship with daniel he really appreciated daniel and he was caught in this catch-22 law that he himself made that now he had to throw his uh, one of his friends and one of his most reliable leaders into the prison, into the den with lions. And when he locks him in the prison, he he almost blesses Daniel uh, with good wishes. And he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone, in verse 17, a stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel Might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, Now, similar to, to Joseph, um, Daniel did not do anything wrong. In fact, it is because he did what was right that he was thrown in the lion's den. And, you know, we may have thought, what have I done to deserve this? And just like Daniel or Joseph, it may be, uh, be nothing. But what's interesting you know at times like this is when times when, when times are challenging like this and and when we face with some unknown and you've probably seen it you've probably experienced this times like this is when fake news and conspiracy theories and false prophets arise and everybody suddenly has an opinion and everybody has advice and has advice about all kinds of things about staying at home and being locked in and also about the virus and how to deal with the virus and what's the best way to deal with the virus and of course there's lots of fake news and rumors and and, and false things it's a time where uh false prophets arise i can just imagine what people told daniel you know, and his friends and everybody when he was being thrown into the den oh daniel you know uh, just, just go here, kitty kitty, here, kitty kitty, and you'll be fine. You know, they just big cats. They lions, but they just big cats. Um, here's my advice for you, Daniel. Or, oh, Daniel, you know, just uh, maybe just feed him your left foot, and then then they'll go away. And worst, at least you'll survive. You may not have a foot left, but uh, whatever weird and strange advice. What they may have, may have said, oh, Daniel, you know, rub you with yourself with a special ointment, and if you rub yourself with this herb and that spice, then. I've I've heard that lions won't touch you. Uh, Suddenly, everybody's got advice. Uh, My best advice from Africa, and Africa we say, uh, how fast do you need to run when a lion chases you? Now, what what do you think? If you and your friends are running away from a lion, you can put some answers in the chat box here. How, How fast do you think you need to be able to run to get away? from a lion, so that the lion doesn't catch you and eat you like like the lions in the game in the with Joseph. Okay, Daddy reckons 45 miles per hour. Richard being from Africa knows the joke, and he says, faster than the slowest person in your group. Sarah says 60 miles per hour. Elsie says, faster than the lion. Uh, Liesl says, zero kilometers per hour. Yes, there's various theories. Some, some people say, no, don't run just stand still then they were then the lion will be confused and he won't eat you because they're used to chasing prey but some say stay still some say just run very fast now the joke in in africa is that how fast do you need to run just faster than the slowest person in the group of course danny says rub yourself in lion poo (laughs) um people have all kinds of advice and ideas and maybe they told some of these things to daniel as well in the den Uh, You know, I I find it amazing. I was engaged this week in one or two Twitter conversations and uh, Twitter discussions with people that that, that I've just commented on. Suddenly, everyone, just because they work with numbers, you know, they're in marketing and they know, oh, I know how a a video goes viral. So I know how viruses work. And suddenly, they're an epidemiologist. And they, know, and they know everything about viruses, um, or someone who's, who's in finance, and they all know they know about how interest rates and compound interest works, and they know how exponential curves work. And it's like, oh, I know how this thing works, and they sort of give their opinions and everything. And suddenly, everyone is an expert in epidemiology. Um, and there's all kinds of rumors and conspiracy theories spreading over the internet uh, and social media and and I want to just encourage all of us to not pay attention to rumors not pay attention to conspiracy theories and uh, to trust the experts that what they think is best these are difficult times it is it is not something that has happened before a lot of people are making the best effort they can uh, without a playbook. There's no guide that says this is how it works. this is how you uh, how we deal with this. But we do need to trust the experts um, and and trust the people that that have studied this and spend their lives. My wife's a, a biostatistician. I've seen her study many years to become the expert she is at what she does and then someone comes along and they've read one or two papers and suddenly they think they know better Um, let's not pay regard for that to that let's think about what can be things that that are different now that can stay different after this time it is wonderful how to see how people are clapping for the nhs uh, and it's encouraging and inspiring, and the, me- and, 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 and the message is: let's protect the NHS. Just a few months ago, people were suing the NHS, and they were looking for opportunities to, to sue and say so take them to court about all kinds of complaints and issues. People, the NHS employ full-time staff to deal with people complaining. Uh, people are abusive to to NHS staff in the past, where you go to some hospitals and um, clinics. I was at the clinic recently where the signs were still up there, where they say, big sign that says, we do not tolerate abuse of our staff. Let's take this time to really think about what are the important things. And like Daniel, to say, what really matters is that we trust God. What is the thing that stood out about Daniel? That the king that threw him in the, in, the, uh, in the den with the lions, that he knew, even though he was not a believer, he was not a Jew, he didn't serve Daniel's God. The one thing he noticed about Daniel, he said, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Let us focus on serving God continually rather than pursuing all kinds of rumors and conspiracy theories and fake news and god forbid even perpetuating it but rather let us be known as people who serve god continually and not have all kinds of opinions about things that we don't really know much about let's rather have opinions about the things we do know about if you are a a christian then the one thing you do know about is you know God, and if you want to pronounce some opinion, rather pronounce your opinions about who God is and what His role is in this times that we're going through. We can uh, we're going to take communion now. There are um, there are some more lessons in the New Testament about people who were in prison. We can uh, go and learn from Peter, and then from Paul and Silas, and then. Paul, at the end of his life in Rome, was under house arrest, very similar to how we are kind of locked down in his home. Um, those are things you can go and study out for yourself as well. But the last one in lockdown I want us to learn from is Jesus. And to prepare our hearts for the communion, uh, we're going to look at Jesus's lockdown. And I think, you may think, when was Jesus ever in prison? Well, he was kind of in prison the night before his crucifixion because he was arrested by the soldiers and basically spent all, all night uh, being moved from the Jewish prison with, uh, with the Sanhedrin and then back to the, to the Romans. And so he had one night in prison, but there's another part of lockdown in Je- for Jesus that I want to focus on, and if you want to turn your Bibles to First Peter three, we're going to read verse seventeen to twenty. First Peter three, verse seventeen to twenty. Now, after Jesus was crucified, he died, and he was very much dead, and he was buried. And for three days, Jesus was in a kind of lockdown. Yes, we know now that he was resurrected three days later and he came to life again and he ascended to heaven where he still is and he's alive. But for those three days. He was in the lockdown of death. And in 1st Peter 3 verse 17, I'm going to read from the message translation. Peter talks about that time when uh, when Jesus was dead. And he says, uh, he starts off by saying, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that's what God wants, than to be punished for doing bad. That is what Christ did definite, definitively. Suffered because of other sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all. He was put to death and then made alive to bring us to God. He went and proclaimed God's salvation to earlier generations who ended up in the prison of judgment because they wouldn't listen. In the NIV it says, um, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah. There's a lot of theological debate and discussion around what this passage means. Uh, we're not going to go into all of that now. You can go and read it, read up on it, or if you want to contact me, we can have an interesting discussion about that. But one of the most uh, commonly accepted explanations for this passage among the early Christians the first century, century, century Christians was that in a way to answer the question of salvation for those who, be, who came before Christ, how can they be saved if we say Christ is the way to salvation? The commonly accepted interpretation of this is what, was that Jesus descended into hell in those three days to go and preach to those. Who did not have the opportunity to accept him as their savior, and it made its way even into some of the early Christian creeds, where uh, where people confessed their faith, and part of that confession was, "We believe in Jesus Christ that he was that he was uh, he died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and he descended into hell." Some of the early Christian creeds include that in the expression of faith. So it could be, possibly, that Jesus spent even up to three days, maybe, in hell in this time when he was dead to go and proclaim the gospel to those who were caught up in hell. Now, if I think about myself, if I was in that situation, Jesus did not deserve to go to hell. Uh, He wasn't sent there as if he deserved some kind of, he committed sin and had to be punished in hell. Um, But if I had the option, it's not the kind of place I would want to go to out of choice. It is not a pleasant place. Yet Jesus went there to give other people, those who uh, who came before, an opportunity to see him and maybe accept him as their savior. There's another theology that says that it's even possible that Jesus had to go and suffer in hell himself because he took all our sins on himself, the sins that would cause people to go to hell. Whether it's the first one or the second one, or maybe both, I think the incredible message behind that is that Jesus was willing to even be in lockdown for three days in hell, if that's what it meant, so that we can be set free, so that we can be redeemed, so that our sins can be forgiven. That is one lockdown I would not want. And I am so grateful that I can be set free from the lockdown in hell through the grace of God and through the grace of Jesus Christ dying for my sins on the cross, for him willing to go through that suffering and that pain, uh, for his body to suffer on the cross, for his blood to be spilled, uh, and that he was willing to be in prison lockdown, even if it's only for a few days, so that I can be spared that lockdown for myself. When we have the, the bread and the wine, uh, Let's um, dwell on that, let's reflect on that uh, with gratitude in our hearts that we've been set free from that spiritual lockdown through the cross of Christ. Um, If you haven't prepared the communion, if you haven't prepared uh, uh, any bread or or wine to have now, then uh, I wanna encourage you after we finish, then feel free to, um, to after the service, uh, participate. Get some bread, get some wine and participate uh, as as if we are having this meal together in the same room today. Let's pray for the the bread and the wine. Dear God Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for allowing your son to go through an inc- incredible time of suffering. Thank you for his body that was broken on the cross and his blood that was spilt so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Thank you that the blood of Christ has set us free and protect us from the prison and the lockdown of hell. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace, Father. Uh, we love you and thank you so much. And uh, we pray that you will continue to show your grace upon us and, and forgive us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.